<laughs> Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. Let's get into the word this morning. Genesis 18, 16. Abraham has just had an interesting visit from three men. Not really three men, actually the Lord and two angels. How do you know it's the Lord? Well, verse 1 of chapter 18 says, Now the Lord appeared to him by the oath of memory. So that's kind of a hint that it's the Lord. Uh, it is interesting to note that the Lord in verse 1 is literally the word Jehovah. So this is an appearance, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 18 tells us that no man has seen God, but the Son of God, the only begotten God, has made him known to us. Has basically explained him to us. And so in the Old Testament, when you see a, a person show up who is speaking as God, who is acting as God, who is in the place of God, in the Old Testament, there's a good chance that's Jesus. Because as the Bible tells us, no one has actually seen God the Father, but God the Son has been seen. And God the Son explains him to us. Well, we get down into verse 16, and after this interesting meeting, it tells us that then the men rose up from there. The men are two angels who are with God. And looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him, so that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is exceedingly, or is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to this outcry which has come to me. And if not, if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And now we come to a very interesting, a strange, and almost bizarre conversation between Abraham and the Lord. It tells us, verse 23, that Abraham came near and said, um, Lord, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? But suppose there are 50 righteous people within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? You know what Abraham's asking? The exact same question we ask. Isn't God supposed to be fair? How can God allow some of the things that happen in this world to happen? Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Deal righteously? Be fair? Shouldn't God, I mean if he's really God, if he's really perfect and all that, shouldn't he be fair in this world? Shouldn't there be justice and rightness? Well the Lord said in verse 26, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. That's impressive. For 50 people, he would spare the whole city, not only of Sodom, but Gomorrah as well. As sinful and sick as they were, I'll spare the whole place on their account. Verse 27, And Abram replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, but I am but dust and ashes. 
Suppose the righteous, the 50 righteous, are lacking five. <laughs> Will you destroy the whole city because of five? Well, the Lord says, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, well, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. And then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. <laughs> and if I shall speak, suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 righteous people there. Verse 31, well... Behold, I ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He's bartering. He's, he's haggling here. Started with 50 and now he's just bringing them down. And the Lord says, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. And then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry. And I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed. And Abraham returned to his place. Father, may these words impact our lives. This story, seemingly out of place in the history of Abraham, just seems like it's tucked in here. May we glean some understanding, not of Abraham, but of you, Father, as our righteous judge. May we see this morning and understand more clearly some of your righteousness and your justice as well as your mercy. Speak to us, Father, by your Spirit as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you watch the news much, as I do quite a bit, kind of a junkie, um, the power brokers are already working overtime on election 2004. And aren't you all excited about that? The ads are already out, and everybody, the talking heads, are trying to figure out who's going to be the next president, what's going to happen, and the crackling is just, that's just what this thing does, so. I don't think I'm going to like it. If I turn this off, can you hear me okay? Yeah. All the way in? Okay, good. Great. <laughs> anyway, I'm watching already. The Democrats, the Republicans, Ralph Nader. You know, he's still coming back. He's in it. We're all real excited. You know, Ralph might have a chance this time around. You know, if he can get 50 states to back him up to get in the election. But all this going around, and they're lobbing political missiles back and forth. And, and the question that I asked this last week, I'm thinking about what we're talking about. The righteous judge. And it kind of hit me. Where's the real power in our country? Who holds the cards? Who has the true authority? Now, for those of you who grew up watching Schoolhouse Rock on Saturday mornings, you know that there are three branches of government. You know there's the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. That's really where I learned about it. Not in school. It was Schoolhouse Rock. It's supposed to be a balance of power. You've got the White House over here. You've got the, the legislative branch, the, the lawmakers over here. And then you've got the judiciary. And they work together to balance out power in America. But power is not balanced in this country, folks. And the, the authority, the power to make things happen, it, it is not in the White House. It's not in the legislative branch, Congress, the Senate, the House. The power in our country is now in the judiciary. The power today is among the judges. An election doesn't go right, take it to the judges. Let them decide. 
You have some problem over a social issue. This, this blows my mind, by the way. I don't know if you saw this in the news. A woman has been indicted for murder because she chose not to have a cesarean section. The doctors told her if she didn't have a cesarean, one of her two twins would die. She refused it. She's mentally unstable, apparently. Refused it, and when the time for the birth came, one of the twins lived, the other one died, and they're calling her a murderer, and yet abortion's okay. The judiciary is holding the cards. It's where the power is. America's leadership hangs on their interpretive powers. You see, that's the problem. It used to be that the judges were not so much interpreters of the law. They tried to go by the letter of the law. What does the law say? But our judges today are leaning in the area of interpretation. Not what does it say. What do they really mean? What did they mean back with the founding fathers? And the world was different then. We're 200 plus years away from that. Things have changed in this country, in this culture. we got to interpret the law that they laid down then for now. Be careful when you get into interpretation. Because maybe things have changed, but some things have not. God's word has not changed. So I'm wondering who among us is truly equipped to deal justly, righteously. Who has that ability? Who among us in this room could truly sit on a judge's bench and make right decisions every time? Not me. Don't put me there. I have no idea how I would do that. And yet, Abraham comes along and he looks at God and he asks that question. Shall not the judge of the earth, of all the earth, deal justly? Will not God deal justly, deal righteously? It's bothering Abraham. God tells him, I'm going to go destroy, wipe out, lay waste to two cities. And Abraham's going, Lot lives there. My nephew. You remember him, Lord, the one that I went and saved. Took a bunch of my men from my own house and chased down five kings and, and went after him. And, and, and we got him out. And you blessed us for that. And that was wonderful. And you helped me to save Lot. And now Lot's living in Sodom. My own flesh. My own blood is living in Sodom. And you're going to go down there and destroy it. Something's not right. Abraham happens to know what the Bible tells us later on. Lot's a good guy. He is a righteous man. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Abraham is called the friend of God. And Abraham knew something about God. He was learning an awful lot about God. He was aware of God's intimate interest in his life. He had been seeing it unfold in the covenant. God, Abraham also had seen God's mercy with Hagar. He watched that whole thing play out. Amazing. Wow. I make this mistake, this sin with Hagar. She goes out. God sends her back. God blesses us in spite of our failure. So he sees God's mercy... And by the way, it's possible, likely, that Abraham knew of God's judgment in the whole worldwide flood. Think about this. If you look at the gene genealogies, Noah was alive for the first 58 years of Abraham's life. They were both on earth at the same time. Sometimes we miss that when we start reading through Genesis and the Bible and seeing all these different people. And we figure by the time we get to Abraham, Noah's long gone. No, Noah was around for the first 58 years. So talk of the flood must have still continued, must have been pretty understood. Abraham knew of God's judging power. And when he says, I'm going to go deal with Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham knew exactly what that meant. Folks, I think all of us, like Abraham, know something of God's justice and mercy. Not believers, non-believers, atheists, agnostic. Everybody knows something of God's justice and mercy. Well, what do you mean? C.S. Lewis put it this way. 
He said, I just couldn't believe in a God who would allow all the injustice in the world. But where did I get this idea of right and wrong? Where did that come from? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. So even if you want to stand up and say as an atheist, I do not believe there's a God, why is it that your heart cries out when there is injustice in the world? If there is no God, it shouldn't matter. If there's no true justice, if there's no true mercy, where do these thoughts come from? How do you even conceive of the possibility of a God if there is no God? Why would we look any higher, any further than ourselves if there truly wasn't a God? And if there's no such thing as right and wrong, Lewis was saying, how did we come up with the very idea of morality? The very issues of injustice which people so often use to fuel arguments against God speak of his very existence. Abraham recognizes and points out this truth. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Well, I want to talk about this today because I think a lot of us get confused about God's justice and his mercy. His judgment and his authority and power to judge and his grace. How does that work together? Three things, if you take notes, you might want to jot down. We're going to run through these this morning. Number one, God did judge righteously. God did judge righteously. Number two, God will judge righteously. And number three, God is judging righteously. He did judge righteously. He will judge righteously. And number three, God is judging righteously. Let's look at number one. Back in verse 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Why does it matter to Abraham, or what Abraham, why does it matter what Abraham thinks of the Lord's actions? Because that's what's happening here. In this little section, we get kind of a side conversation. Now, I suppose God and Abraham had many side conversations. Why this one? Why is this one in Scripture for us to see? Why do we need to understand this? Listen closely. We are studying the genesis of man's relationship with God. The book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, is a book that is revealing God's nature, His attributes. As a matter of fact, a step beyond that, the Bible is not a history book. It's historically accurate, but the Bible is a book of revelation. The whole point, as you read through Genesis and get into Exodus and go on down the line, the whole point is that you can see and understand and know God. And even this very conversation explains, expresses to us something of His nature. Again, John 1.18 tells us no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. It's interesting. John 1.18 says the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained Him. And I asked a question. I'm reading right now a book about Islam. People are very interested in Islamic faith in our culture today. Trying to understand it. The question people want to know is, are Jehovah and Allah the same God? Because that's what many people assume, understand, think. That Jehovah is God and Allah is God, and really they're just two different names for the same God. Isn't that the case? Well, here's a problem with this. The Quran says, and I quote, 
God does not beget, nor is He begotten. God does not beget, nor is He begotten. God can't be, according to the Koran, begotten. And yet, the Bible says, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. Just one hint among many that Jehovah is not Allah. Allah is not Jehovah. Well, back to our study. Why is this understanding important? Again, the Bible, folks. The Bible is the book of Revelation. The whole thing is. Luke chapter 10, verse 22. Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one who knows the Son, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son. And he says, And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. It is Jesus' role that he accepted to reveal the Father. And 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 tells us his, his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And excellence. So instead of hiding what God's going to do, he reveals ahead of time to Abraham what he's going to do so that when it happens, Abraham will understand. So Abraham can get it. So when Sodom and Gomorrah go down, Abraham doesn't just look at God and go, What was that? What are you doing? That's not fair. How could you possibly... No, God comes to Abraham first and says, I'm going to do something. And he allows this interesting, haggling conversation to go on so that Abraham can process through and understand, Man, if there are ten righteous people in that city, I'll save it. So when Abraham sees Sodom and Gomorrah go down... He realizes something. There weren't even ten righteous people there. There were not even ten decent people there. Verse 20 tells us, The Lord said the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. And this is interesting. And I will go down now and see if what they have done entirely is entirely according to its outcry, which has now come to me. And if not, I will know. Does God need to go to Sodom and Gomorrah to know what's going on? Are you not the God of all the universe? Do you have to come down here and, and, and poke your nose in just to make sure that what you're seeing is truly what's going on? Of course God knows. But mark this, check this. We need to see that God sees. We need to know that God knows. Abraham needed to know that God was going to take the time to go there in person and see what was going on so that Abraham could understand God's righteousness. We need to see that he sees. God is no Zeus. He doesn't sit up on the mountain on high chucking lightning bolts down at man, making rash judgments against man. That's not God. Now Abraham does begin to question God about his judgments. But again, you ask the question, why does Abraham care? He, he's not in Sodom. No, but Lot is. Lot, Abraham's nephew. Well, verse 22 and on down, begins to, we begin to see this haggling process. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And Abraham starts with 50, then he goes to 45, to 30, to 10, or to 20, and then to 10, and then he stops at 10. And I think this is interesting, and I think we can draw application for us in this place right now. God stops, Abraham stops at 10. Why? Because, folks, I believe that God can work through ten righteous people to save a region. 
If there were even ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, God would have allowed them to stay there and would not have passed judgment on that place because even with just ten people among all the thousands of people doing evil, with just ten, God could still save Sodom and Gomorrah. Ten righteous people in a place. God can work through them. Folks, we, uh, we live in an area of darkness. Life among the islands, occultic activity here is very strong. You may not be aware of it, or you may. Whidbey Island, Fidalgo Island, it's, a, it's an attractor of New Ageism. There is a lot of inherent evil that is among us. Church of Wicca, things that are going on here in a very dark place. And we said when this very first began, when God first said, I want a church on North Whidbey Island, we had an understanding. It may simply be that God wanted His light in a dark place. Not Rod and Barb that your Barb is dark. I'm not saying that. But you know what's interesting? Talk to them. When they first bought the property, they sensed that it was very dark. A lot of prayer went on right here in this place, on this property, because there was just a sense of oppression here. And that is a very true reality among the islands. God wants His light here. And so we started meeting over in the house. Twenty people. And I remember a couple of those first meetings, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, a few months, sitting over there and, and looking around and going, oh, there's only like 20 of us. But you know what? With 10 people, God can save a region. Look around you. Look, go ahead. Look at each other. Get some eye contact. The number of people in this farm right now this morning blows my mind. We haven't advertised. We haven't put up big billboards or signs. This is the work of the Spirit. By the way... When the band plays, the, the musicality, all of that, it's about the Holy Spirit. The worship is about the Spirit. And though I appreciate, you know, Larry's words, I really appreciate that, that you know, what you said about the music and, and it's so wonderful and all that. But, guys, it's not about how good the music is. And it's not about us. And please, please don't tempt us by telling us how good we are. The point is, God's Spirit is here. If you feel something happening in worship, it's because His Holy Spirit is at work among us, moving. I could be playing a banjo and a juice harp, and if His Spirit's here, He will do His thing with ten people. And folks, we are more than ten, and as I said a few minutes ago, God is preparing for a harvest. I know it. He is preparing for a harvest, not of other Christians coming from other places. He is preparing right here in this place for a harvest of people all around us who do not right now even know Jesus. That's why we're here. That's what we're looking for. And that's the foundation that God is laying. Starting with 10, 20, 30, 40 people, God can change this region. How evil, by the way, were the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well... In chapter 19, when the angels go down there, the men of Sodom come out and want to rape the two angels. That's how evil they were. They surrounded Lot's house. We'll see this in our Bible study Wednesday night. They surrounded his house and began to say, Hey, you got a couple of guys in there. Bring them out so we can have our way with them. <laughs> the sin was sick exceedingly. Sodom and Gomorrah were unconscionably depraved. By the way, you may have heard this before, but Billy Graham once said, if God does not judge San Francisco, he must apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, God did judge righteously. Sodom and Gomorrah earned the judgment of God. He did judge righteously. But number two, God will 
judge righteously. What would have happened if Abraham had haggled the Lord all the way down to one man? What would God have done? Well, as you know, if you know the story at all, it did get down to one man. It got down to Lot. Not even Lot's sons-in-laws were salvageable. Only Lot and his wife and his two daughters. You want to get a sneak peek and see what happens? Look at Genesis 19, verse 15. 1915. This is what God does when only one righteous person is left. Verse 15. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Lot's hesitating. He's looking, oh, But now we got to go. Now, look at what happens. So the men seized his hand. And the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters for the compassion of the Lord was upon him and they brought him out of the city and they put him outside the city literally the angels had to grab hold of them and drag them out seize them, pull them out get them out ahead of time flip in your Bibles quickly to 2 Peter again let's go to our New Testament commentary of the Old Testament 2 Peter because Peter gives us some insight into how God will judge righteously. Holding that picture of Lot standing there, his wife, his two daughters, and they're hesitating. And the angels grab them and they pull them out. Hold that picture and listen to what Peter says. Second Peter, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 2. Second Peter 2, 6. It tells us that if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, righteous Lot? Righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Listen to this, folks. It's interesting. Peter draws from God's just dealings on the past to explain to us how he will judge righteously in the future. And if it weren't for Peter's words, we would never have known that Lot was righteous. We would assume he's living in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's got to be somewhat of a dark guy to be in that environment. But Peter says, no, no, Lot was righteous. Well, that's Peter's opinion. Peter's opinion by the Holy Spirit. Lot was a righteous man. Lot was, was upset by. He was tormented by the unrighteousness all around him all the time. And I asked the question, well, why didn't Lot just move? Why didn't he just get out of there? Move somewhere else, Lot. That's a really good question. Why don't we move? Why are we still here? Why as Christians, when we land in a place that we know is dark, that we know there's sin going on, why don't we pack up and get out of here? Well, Rick, it's beautiful here. It's gorgeous. What been among the islands, Sean? I went for a walk up Duck and Road yesterday. As we came back down, the blue sky, we could see the water. It was just breathtaking. It's beautiful here. Sodom and Gomorrah were beautiful as well. We're told earlier in Scripture that Lot looked out and he saw the land was well watered and green and lush and verdant. And he said, that's my place. It's a beautiful place. Why didn't Lot leave? I don't know. It was beautiful. Maybe he had compassion 
on the people around him. Maybe he was holding out. Somebody's going to come to the Lord if I'm here. I can have some kind of impact. Maybe he was just so dug in that he didn't know how to get out. But I do know the Lord had compassion on Lot. And he seized him and he pulled him out. And the Lord goes on, or Peter goes on to say in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, if God knew how to rescue Lot, then, look at verse 9, mark this, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. What's he saying? Listen to this clearly. The Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from, literally the Greek word there is ek, it means out of, and the word tribulation or, t- or temptation there literally means tribulation. In other words, the Lord knows how to rescue the, the godly out of, out of tribulation. Folks, there is a tribulation coming. You can read about it in the book of Revelation that explains that there is a period of time at the end of time, which we are very close to, where there will be a seven-year period where God pours out His righteous wrath against the world, against a Christ-rejecting world. And Peter's telling us, listen, this God who judges righteously knows how to rescue those who are righteous. Well, who are they? And am I one of them? I hope so. Do I get to go? How does this happen? Listen closely. 1 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 16. I'll just read this to you. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Caught up. The word is harpazo. It's where we get the word rapture. It's the Latin word, raptus. The word rapture, they will be caught up, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always, always be with the Lord. Those folks who are in Christ will be caught up, will be pulled out like Lot. And this is what Peter is saying. Just like Lot was seized by the angels. Get out of here now, Lot. Judgment's coming. Get out. They grab Lot, pull them out in the same way the Lord is going to grab people who are in Christ and pull them out. That word harpazo is a, a, a brutal, not a brutal, it's a violent word to a degree. It speaks of grabbing a hold of someone and just pulling them up. That's what, what Peter says is going to happen. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians. We will be caught up. That's going to be so cool. I mean... As a kid, didn't you always want to fly? Can you just imagine walking along the farm someday, Barb, and all of a sudden, whoop, off you go. There she is. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I'm seeing her eye to eye. You know, we're both going up. I'm not hoping. I know. Well, how do you know, Rick? I mean, how can you be sure that you're one of those righteous people? Not by my behavior. Not by my actions. Not by the things I've done. But I know because of exactly what Larry shared this morning, because I am in Christ. And those who are in Christ are already declared to be righteous. In spite of ourselves, we're not righteous people. We might be able to dress it up on a Sunday morning, but we are not righteous people. It is God's righteousness given to us through Jesus. That's what makes us righteous. In 1 Thessalonians verse 1, in chapter 1, verse 10, says, Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 9 says, If he rescued righteous Lot, then the Lord knows how to rescue the, God, the godly from, that is, out of temptation, tribulation. God will judge righteously, that is, as related to heaven. Now, number three, and listen, God is judging righteously. He is judging righteously even today. Now, we've had a long service. I've got to ask you to hang with me here this morning because the best is right here. And I want you to hear it closely. God's dealings with Sodom in the past are clearly justified. And His dealings with mankind in the future will also be clearly justified. But what about today? What about the pygmies? What about the aborigines? What about all the people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus? How is that fair? That they get lost and God comes along and pulls out the righteous who have heard about Him. Two things to note. And I want you to flip very quickly in Romans. Book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Listen very closely. Two things. Number one, Paul says we have a couple witnesses here. A couple of witnesses to help us know the Lord. Whether anyone has ever spoken the name of Jesus to us or not, two witnesses that should bring us to the Lord. Number one, we all have the witness of creation. The witness of creation. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world listen to this his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen how? being understood in what has been made so that they are without excuse God's word, the Bible says, all you have to do is open your eyes. And the excuse is gone. Well, I didn't know there was a God. Did you open your eyes today? Paul says we have the witness of creation. Folks, it is crazy to look at creation and to say that all of this happened accidentally. Things just fell into place. Again, I mentioned Cheryl and I were walking up Duncan. And as we headed up the road, we came into a grove of trees. And I looked up and the sun was beaming. You know how it does that in, in different shafts through the trees? And it was just gorgeous. And we stopped for a moment and stared at that. And I said, yeah, it's an amazing accident. It's incredible how all this stuff just kind of boom, fell together. And some have said from the goo to the zoo to you. Suddenly we just all this, this is how it worked. Oh, come on. You know what the Bible says about that? Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, There's no God. Psalm 53, verse 1, repeated, The fool has said in his heart, There's no God. It is foolish. It's crazy. It's ridiculous in this world to look around and say, Oh, there's not really a God. We have the witness of creation. By the way, if you're honestly concerned about the pygmies, may I suggest that you become a missionary and go love them. If that's truly your concern, see to their salvation. 
But don't use them as a smokescreen for your own doubts. Don't use the fact that other people don't know about Jesus to keep you from knowing about Him because I got news for you this morning. You have now all heard about Jesus. Oops. My bad. Look at verse 21. Paul goes on and he says, For even though they knew God, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise... They became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Number two, we have the witness of conscience. God has given two powerful witnesses, creation, so that all men may know, and conscience, so that all men may be aware. All people will be able to see, know, in their minds, just like C.S. Lewis Where did I get this idea of right and wrong? Abraham says, Shall not the Lord of all the earth deal justly? Where did this whole idea come from? Folks, everybody will be judged. Everybody will be judged based on the decisions we make. But if you choose Jesus, even today, your judgment day has already happened. Did you know that? If you are in Christ, that you are not looking forward to a judgment day, your judgment day has happened. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, While being reviled, and Peter begins to quote Isaiah 53, While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting him, himself to him who judges righteously. And he, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. If you are in Christ, your judgment day happened at Calvary. Your judgment is over. Paid for. Done. As a child, I used to think about judgment day and the long line of people and standing there going, what if he tosses me out? What if I'm fried? What's going to happen when I get up there and he puts all my sins on that big PowerPoint screen and everybody knows, ah... And all of us just shivering and in and, and fear, standing in that judgment line, waiting for our turn, you know, to be counted. Guess what? You've been counted. You have been looked at, and if you're in Christ, you have been seen as righteous. Right now. And there's nothing you can do to alter that if you are in Christ. You're going to make mistakes. You and I, we're going to sin. We're going to flub up. We're going to wrong other people. But we keep, as Larry said, coming back to Christ. Keep coming back to Christ because you're in Christ. And your judgment day is past. However, if you reject Jesus' sacrifice for you, there's still one other place where you can go to make your case. Listen to this. I'll read this to you as well. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. John says, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And that should literally scare us to death if we're not in Christ. Because at this final judgment day that we all hear about and make the little jokes about and try to ignore, 
at that final judgment day, the great white throne judgment, if you are not in Christ, that is your day in court. And the Bible tells us a couple of different books will be open. One is the Lamb's Book of Life. And see, the good news is, is if your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're saved. That's all it takes. If your name is not in that book, the great white throne judgment is your day in court. And another book is open, which is called the Book of Deeds. And you will be judged based on the things you did. That's, that's the choice. In God's righteous judgment, you can either be in Christ and have your name written in the book of life and you are saved, or you can choose to have your day in court. God in complete fairness will allow every man, woman, a, a choice, a voice. Well, Lord, but I lived a good life. Okay, let's check that out. Let's open the book. Let's see what you did. How you behaved. How you treated people. Oh, we have a lie here. Problem. Not even the tiniest speck of sin can be in the presence of the Father. It's in Christ or it's nothing at all. And here's the tragedy. Nobody who waits for that day in court will be saved. Nobody. Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the deal. Well, that's not fair. That's just, that's just not right. How could God, that's not fair. And, and a story is told, go with me if you will, to the great white throne. In this day, masses gather before it, before the Lord. But before the books were opened, someone is bold and, and, and shouts at God, Who are you to be our judge? Who are you to, to, to judge us? And the crowd becomes more bold and someone steps out. A man comes forward and says, yeah, what about this? And he pulls down his collar to reveal rope burns on his dark skin that he received when he was lynched in 1933 Mississippi. What about this? A woman walks forward and says, yeah, yeah, what about this? And she pulls her sleeve up to reveal numbers burned into her arm from the Nazi concentration camp 1945. And another comes forward and says, what about, what about me, a homeless man who died in abject poverty in Seattle 2004? And on and on they come forward crying, unfair, unfair, unfair. This is not right. And finally an ad hoc committee gets together and they present a case for the people. They come before God and they say, before you have the right to fairly judge us, before you can take that on, you have to understand where we've been. We're going we're gonna to give you some conditions here. You need to first be born of an illegitimate birth. At least it needs to look that way. Everybody needs to see you as illegitimate. And you have to deal with that your whole life. And you have to be an ethnic minority too. Yeah, you've got to be an ethnic minority and deal with that. Ultimately, you have to die in abject poverty, unfairly betrayed by your fellow man. Then, then... Maybe we'll believe that you understand us. Then you can be our righteous judge. Just as God came down in fairness before destroying Sodom, He also came down in the person of Jesus Christ. He came down and judged Sodom. But He came down with grace in Jesus. So that God's righteous requirements could be fulfilled, not by you and me, but by Jesus. 
who did live this life, who did live and deal with the greatest injustice of any human being who ever lived. Is that fair? Shall the Lord of all the earth deal justly, righteously? Folks, today, you may wonder about what God is doing in this earth. You may look around as I do. Most of the time when I watch the news, I just shake my head. Another thing, another murder. Mass murder in Fresno, you may have heard about that. Nine people killed in a house, most of them children. And I shake my head at these things and say, Lord, where are you? Are you dealing righteously and with justice in the world today? Father, where are you? And some of us, we may even look at our own lives and go, Man, sickness or relationship struggles or, or financial struggles or, or my children or my parents. We say, Lord, where are you? This isn't fair. Where's your justice? Guys, two final things to know as we speak. As we speak, God currently has left some people in Sodom. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And you may say, well, Rick, my life is far too messy. Yeah? Well, Paul goes on and says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God has left some people in Sodom so that even though there's injustice, unfairness, hurt, and pain in the world, He has a body of people blessed by, given His Holy Spirit to make a difference. And I'll put it to you this way, the church that is not making a difference, sharing love, changing the world around them in their region, is not the church. It's not of God. Because it's God's intention that His Holy Spirit would be in people and through people that other lives would be touched, justice would be played out. Love would be shared. Mercy would be given. That's why we're here. That's what believing in Christ and following Him means. By the way, when a country goes to war with another country, what does it do with its ambassadors before the war begins? It brings them home. As of today, if you are in Christ, you are an ambassador of Christ. But as we speak... God is currently on the throne looking to bring His ambassadors home. And one last thing. Check this out. If you are in Christ this morning, do you know where you're sitting? Well, yeah, in a somewhat uncomfortable orange chair in a barn. No, no, it's not where you are. Paul says in Ephesians 2.5 Even when we were dead in our transgressions God made us alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved Listen And raised us up with Him And seated us with Him In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus What? While we were in our sins His grace came upon us And He took us out And seated us with God In the heavenly places You this morning if you are in Christ Are seated with God in the heavenly places how does that work? Listen, it's a thing in Scripture that is so absolutely sure it is written as though it's already happened. And that is a great comfort. God is going to bring His ambassadors home. You are seated today in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now because as far as God is concerned, it's a done deal. What if I'm not, as you say, in Christ? 
What if I'm not one of those people who has accepted Jesus, who is in Jesus right now? God is waiting for you, open arms, and the Bible actually tells us that He is delaying His return for you. For you. He's waiting to come back for you. But He won't delay for long, because shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? I can't explain every seeming injustice to you this morning. I can't stand in the place of God and say why bad things happen, why evil continues, why evil people seem to go unpunished. I don't understand. I don't have those answers. But what I do know is what the Bible tells us about our future. And listen, last thing, if you are not yet sure of God's justice, you will be. You will be. I want to leave you with a final verse, and if you'll flip there, Revelation chapter 19, the end of your Bibles. You can take this one home with you today. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1. As you're flipping there, recall God did judge righteously as relates to Sodom. He will judge righteously as relates to the end of time. And He is judging righteously. And again, if you're not sure, listen, this amazes me. If you're in Christ today, you are quoted in the Bible. Your words are quoted, laid down, written in Scripture. Check this out. Revelation 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, and this is you, and this is me, and anyone who is in Christ, saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Why? Because His judgments are true and righteous. You see, right now, if you look at God and look at the world and say, it doesn't seem fair, you will see the fairness of it. You will understand it. You will stand with the multitude before God and you will praise Him saying, His judgments are true and righteous. You're going to understand. It's going to make sense. You are quoted in Scripture saying right on, His judgments are true. Hallelujah. God is right. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Oh yes. Yes, he will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may we grasp in the only way that we can your amazing righteousness. May we know, Lord, that you are just. That even in our own lives, injustices done to us, hurts and pains and sorrows brought upon us by others, that you see all of that. That, Lord, you came down to the Sodom of this world to see what was going on, to experience what was happening, to live among us. And then not to judge in that moment, but to take the judgment upon yourself. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, we owe you everything. And I pray this morning that we will see clearly and know clearly that you love us. May we know this morning that your mercy is for us. And God, if there's anybody here who has never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, who has never confessed their need for Him, if there's anybody this morning sitting here who is not in Christ, would you pierce their soul this morning? Poke a hole in 
And by your spirit, Lord, would you convict them so that they see and know and understand how much they need Jesus and how much Jesus loves them. Do your work among us this morning, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. I said last week that um, we're going to offer invitation times or altar call. Tell you, different churches call it different things. But opportunities for people to come forward to stand and be counted. And we will do that. This morning I want these words to rest with you though and to sit on your hearts. And if you have never accepted Jesus, if you're not in Christ today, it's because of God's love that we are told a judgment is coming. If He didn't love us, He wouldn't let us know. He would just come flying in and start destroying. But He loves you so much that He's saying right now, choose Jesus and choose Him today.